this week on the Rail Splitter Podcast. We will break down a book and give you a recent book review, and we will talk about the 1860 election. Thanks for tuning in this week. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition. To each other. Party on, dudes! All right, welcome to the fourth episode of the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am one of your co hosts, Jeremy. With me is Nick. What up? All right, how are we doing this week, Nick? Uh, good. Super. All super right. duper. We are very fast approaching the 4th of July, which is exciting, uh, which of course everybody knows is the anniversary of uh, Vicksburg and Gettysburg, obviously. Uh, of course. That's what you should think when you think 4th of July. At I, least that's I'm, what I think. I'm just so happy we celebrate those two monumental military victories with fireworks and cookouts and copious amounts of drinking. Uh, of meat products. Oh, wait, that's right. Not you. <laughs> I don't eat meat. Please, please keep listening if you do. I think Lincoln would be ashamed of you. I don't know. I don't know. Possibly. You know, he was an animal rights activist. He, really? Yes, this is true. He he killed an animal early in life and kind of watched it die and, and, that, and decided, like, vowed. That was the last, I think it was a turkey. That's the last animal he was ever going to kill, and he never went hunting, which was kind of, you know, on the frontier in Illinois in the 18... 20s, 30s, and 40s. Is he the president that started the pardon of the turkey? I think so. I think so. Am I correct on that? If not, let's just say that. We're we're the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. We can declare these such things, can we not? There is nobody else doing this currently. It may not be. Let's look that up before people start tweeting at us. That is true. Before we start a Twitter firestorm. I just just went with that. I did no research on it. I I didn't check the, the list out there. The turkey um, pardon. I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, you're looking up the turkey pardon. I thought you meant it's a, calling out it's a ceremony. Things. It's good. It dates all the way back to the 1940s. So not Abraham Lincoln. Although, <laughs> although, oh, of course it wasn't him. But you know what he did do? He started Thanksgiving. That's what I meant. <laughs> like, that is what I meant. All of it. So in a way, he started the turkey pardon. We would not have the turkey pardon without him because... You know, the first Thanksgiving obviously was with with indigenous people and their European settler friends, right? Um, But the first Thanksgiving, November of 1863. Thank you, Uncle Abraham. Love Thanksgiving. So, yeah, so this uh, episode is recorded in June, late June, but you got a little Thanksgiving trivia Man, I thought you were gonna give all the information. Late June in Rockford at Blah. It blah, is. Blah, we are coming. You know, I tried to. I tried to make table. that one of our taglines, and I forget every episode. We are coming at you live from the land of Lincoln. We are in Illinois, proudly, uh, the land of Lincoln. Coming at you live. So next episode, possibly, I will say, my favorite, my one of my favorite taglines. Coming at you live from the land of Lincoln, the Real Splitter Podcast. Uh, we're gonna try to open with something a little uh, off topic, just to start with, and. Uh, this week, I want to give you a, just a real quick book review. So uh, you you read this book? I read almost all of the words. Okay, I have uh, not read it, so you should sell me on this. This one's going to be just me. Well, it's a book reviews aren't necessarily to sell it. However, I do, that is true. I will give this book the endorsement. I just finished the Fiery Trial, which is written by Eric Foner, F O N E R. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Uh, the Fiery Trial is specifically about Lincoln and his relationship with slavery. So it goes from birth to his assassination, and obviously a little bit before and a little bit after, and really focuses solely on that issue. So I've read many Lincoln documentaries, um, so I'm trying to find unique perspectives and unique approaches because um, uh, you know I think a lot of people mention that the only person who has more books written about them as historic let me figures guess, let me guess Daniel Day-Lewis Daniel Day-Lewis he, I, he may have made the top 10 
not number one. Jesus Christ. First of all, Liam Neeson over Daniel Day. <laughs> Team Neeson. Hopefully you listen to episode three to get that inside joke. But Jesus Christ is actually has more books written about him than Abraham Lincoln, but no one else does. So uh, <laughs> that's why it's kind of hard to find. Uh, you know what I just thought of? What's that? Daniel Day-Lewis, method acting, Jesus Christ. Possibly. I mean, there's cool. that Mel Gibson movie. Does he like, could you imagine the lengths he would go to do this? What could he... He's a very talented actor. Like, he I is feel a like, talented actor. I feel like Can no matter he pull how I, off some of those things? I feel like no matter how I follow this up, I'm going to offend somebody. Like, oh, yeah, he turned, you know, like the whole cast is eating. And they're like, yeah, we only had two loaves of bread before Daniel Day-Lewis got here. Sorry. <laughs> Why is everybody on set drunk? I don't know. All we had was this water. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, what I- did you do? I will take back everything. <laughs> you know, you, you, sh- you got to have one more movie in you. DDL. That's how I refer to him now. DDL. And, of course, we want it to be a Lincoln prequel. Oh, yeah. That, that would be great. I, yeah. You really had your hopes on that, didn't you? It was kind of – it was never – like, it was – There was. it is less plausible than almost any other possible movie idea. Like, I think I would be more likely to direct an Oscar-winning movie, and I don't direct movies, than – Daniel Day-Lewis coming back to do a prequel was possible. But now that he's retired, it's not possible at all. We got like two Lincoln-themed movies in like a span of what, two or three years there? Yeah. But that means we're probably not going to get one forever now. Probably not. It's sad. so sad. Anyway, The Fiery Trial, which is taken from a quote of Lincoln's about slavery. He referred to the fight for abolition versus the fight for slavery or the expansion thereof as a fiery trial. Um, I give this book the rail splitter recommendation, which is a term I just made up. Um, I think I thought it was good. Um, Eric Foner is um, he's he's a fairly prolific writer. He li- writes a lot of um, pretty academic, pretty deep texts, but they're accessible. He's not going to give you a you know a three thousand page you know crazy specific um, crazy intense investigation of things, but he's going to get deep and he's going to get pretty intellectual and. You know, I really liked how he made this about Lincoln and Lincoln's relationship to slavery, but he still told the story. And it was still fairly narrative in its reading. It was definitely something that you didn't have to take notes or you didn't have to, like, you know, you're not referring to footnotes left and right and trying to, you know, figure out um, any sort of minutia that he's referring to. It was very accessible. I think if you're how I judge really good Lincoln writing. You know, I've read a lot. You know, we're kind of Lincoln enthusiasts. You know, if I can find it interesting, but I also feel like someone that's just a fan of history or just kind of into learning about Civil War stuff or, you know, mid-century, mid-19th century politics or, or whatever, if they would also respond well to it. Um, um, and I think it would fit both camps. couple questions here. Mm-hmm. First question, pictures. Um. The cover art is like a maybe like a mid eighteen fifties portrait. I believe. Right, you're only talking about cover art. It looks like I'm out. Uh, <laughs> actually, serious question. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's just like came across our podcast, kind of in the link and trying to get started. Um, would you recommend this or wait until you read a couple others? Wait, wait. Um, you're gonna want to start with a Lincoln by Ronald White. You're going to want to start, well, Team of Rivals, obviously. Um, you're going to want to start with, um, man, that's that's a good question. Um, there's, it, it kind of depends, too, like, how, you know, are you a high school student? Are you a college student? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like so this book's kind of meant for somebody who's kind of dived a little bit deeper into Lincoln and looking for that little different angle on yeah, if, if you're if you're it's really good if you are interested specifically in the slavery piece or if you are for school like writing a paper on slavery. You don't have to sift through, you know, marriage and kids and uh, westward expansion and, uh, you know, it, it's specifically like when he talks about the Lincoln Douglas debates, he talks specifically about the slavery piece when he talks about. Um, Civil War, the war itself, he talks about its relationship to slavery. So, you know, there's not a lot on the Civil War, but he talks about Antietam as the military um, 
battle that kind of brought out the Emancipation Proclamation, and he talks about it as a war measure too. So, uh, but also to answer your question, uh, David Herbert Donald, I think a lot of people may be familiar with his work, Lincoln, uh, which was published in the 90s. That's a great one, I think, to kind of start off and kind of as a initial one. A Lincoln, by that I mentioned from Ronald White, focuses. It kind of takes a different track. It it um, is big, largely focused. The reason he titles it A Lincoln is because that's how Lincoln signed all of his written correspondence. He used a lot of Lincoln's written words to inform the documentary, and he they kind of marketed it as saying like, "Oh, this really goes into the religion, Lincoln's religion." For, you know, he found some writing about faith that he brought in. It does do a nice job of that and uncovers some really interesting things. Um, I, d I think the marketing department overplayed that. I think it's just kind of a part of that that work, and I think that's a good one. Um, of course, the, 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 the Lincoln biography is going to be Abraham Lincoln, A Life by Michael Burlingame. Uh, that's a two-volume, two-million-word work. That, I'm out. I'm yes, out. Is there is, a movie? This is not, this is not for... I'm interested in Abraham Lincoln. What book should I read? Not that one. If you are obsessive, read it. I will full disclosure, I've read every single word of the first volume and then I decided that that was like a goal for me, I believe <laughs> in 2015. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take a little bit of time um, and then um, pretty soon I'm going to delve into volume two. Uh, but I have not yet jumped into volume two um, but I have read every word of volume one, and I'm working on volume two, and I have seen Michael Burlingame speak, and he is awesome. Sexy voice? Yeah, he's funny. Um, we talked to, like, Shelby Foote's sexy voice? Oh, God, no. Are you kidding? Shelby Foote, uh, that's like saying, like, you know, no, oh, yeah, he sings well. Oh, does he sing like Stevie Wonder? Well, of course not. Like, Shelby Voice has the, Shelby, Shelby Voice, <laughs> Shelby Foote has the, had, you know, rest in peace, the best voice in the history of voices. You know, I kind of heard him on Ken Burns. I'm like, dude, you've wasted your career writing. You I'd listen. You, need, I would, you yeah. need to be talking, not I, writing. Yeah. Shelby. Like, hey, we, we released a 15-CD box set. It's called Shelby Foote Reads the Phone Book. I'm buying it. I'll, I'll buy it. I'll listen to it. <laughs> or we could just do Shelby Foote Reads Shelby Foote Civil War Trilogy. It's it's hefty. <laughs> it's hefty. I will admit, I, again, full disclosure, I tried to read every word of that. I didn't make it very far. Uh I also have committed very hard, but almost. Actually, I got through the first volume. I did get through. That's that impressive. All the way, there's so. only, there's three volumes, right? So, yeah, yeah, there are three volumes. So it's great, um, and I don't mean a, I don't mean to badmouth it. I know there's probably some Civil War buffs out there. It is great. Um, I'm more of a Lincoln fan than a Civil War fan, and like it's it's just overwhelming. It's so there's just so much, um, and with work and everything else. I mean, that's, that's like the the common excuse, but. Um, you know, I just yeah. came with the idea. Down the road, we got to do a podcast this time. Lincoln Civil War books. Yeah. And kind of break them sure. down. That would. Last question I want to ask you. Did you come across any nuggets that you did not know beforehand that would not spoil the book for our yes. listeners? Yes, and that was another thing I did. Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, one thing about the book that I would use certainly to encourage people to read it is not, and we'd say this, we're not Lincoln apologists on this show. We're Lincoln enthusiasts. Absolutely. But... Um, it does not sugarcoat anything. It does not pretend like, you know, the the, the savior Lincoln comes in and, and frees the slaves, and you know, this it's not a rosy rainbowy kind of thing. It 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 there's some inconvenient truths about Lincoln that we all need to acknowledge, and he he spends a lot of time talking about colonization, and he addresses a lot of the concerns that historians have, and we're all kind of wrestling with at times as Lincoln enthusiasts regarding the degree to which he favored colonization publicly. Um, however, and I kind of mentioned this a lot in the last episode, look at what Lincoln did in addition to what he said. Um, and he made one, and this is what I learned from, from Foner's work, one official attempt from a legislative and executive standpoint to colonize freed slaves um, and they were like somewhere in the Caribbean, I think it was in Haiti, and it was really like a half-hearted going through the motions kind of effort. Like he never actually proposed formal colonization. When did he do this? Toward the end. It was probably in like 16... In the office? 
Oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It was after the Emancipation Proclamation. After um, he started um, supporting soldiers, uh, former slaves being soldiers. Um, so he does do a lot of uh, work with looking at that um, colonization and and what he said about that, which is something I I didn't know. I need. I mean, I knew it was there, but. Um, he did a nice job kind of bringing that out. Um, so, yeah, good book. Uh, you got me hooked. It's, fire, on my, it's on my list. Fiery Trial by Eric Foner. Eric, uh, if you're listening, we'd love to get you on the show, buddy. Yeah, no no kidding, for sure. Man, I'd love to. You could educate that, us. That would be an amazing episode, and you, it would help our listenership tons. And you could tell us what we're doing wrong. And I believe we follow you on Twitter, Foner, yeah. Mr. Foner, sir. If you could follow us back and maybe set that up, that'd be awesome. So if you know him or have read that book, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, again, we are at RailsplitterPod on Twitter and Instagram. Please send us your thoughts and rate us on iTunes. If, if you just listen, you know, if you listen to episode one, two, or three, or all three of them, and you already know how you feel, put this on pause, jump on iTunes, give us that four or five star rating, because you've probably listened to multiple ones now. Um, and then write us a nice review. You know, if it's your first one, you don't like what you're hearing already, you know what? Stop, go to iTunes, rate us four or five, badmouth us in the review. Maybe don't, you know, badmouth us with the star rating. So Yeah, and I, and I promise if we start getting reviews, we'll stop begging for reviews. <laughs> um, real quick, uh, we'd like to bring up some stories that come off across on Twitter and everything else. And this one just jumped across. It's maybe, I don't know. I think it's a perfect time for me to open my new beer. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, this may be a week or so old, but like we saw some stuff coming over Twitter a little bit uh, before last episode, and then it's kind of come across a little bit more. There's a statue in Chicago that's kind of gotten some press because somebody started hashtagging about sexy Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln. And there's a statue, and this would actually work well for our end of the episode weekly feature this week in Lincoln, but we're going to go ahead and throw it in the opening. Uh, there's a statue that's been around since like 1945 in Chicago, uh, but people are starting to call it Sexy Lincoln. It's like a young Lincoln, and he's got his shirt half buttoned, and he's kind of got like a, you know, some, some flowing hipster locks going on, and just, you know... They, they think he's hot, apparently. If you want to see it right now, I, I would just type in. Here's what I Googled. Sexy Lincoln statue. And I literally got the picture to pop up. And he, he does. He's like, he's popping a couple buttons aren't, aren't there. And he's looking like they always talk about him being ugly. He, he looks good right here. So, yeah, this is it's on the north side. Um, I think it's in like Sen Park, uh, I think. Um, a 13 fall foot. 13-foot-tall bronze statue of a robust young <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is uh, what WGN says. Abraham Ro- Lincoln. Robust. No one's ever described me as robust. You know, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You did this so well last episode. It reminds me of a great quote from a great great movie, Wayne's World. Schwing? No, isn't it Abraham <laughs> oh, Lincoln? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're, you're so can, be, yeah. can you find that on oh, the, yeah, the let's iPad machine yeah, there? Yeah, I will, let's check so, it out. Yeah, so the statue, it's in Sen Park. And I, I literally was in Chicago not that long ago, and I was going to try to stop by some Lincoln stuff just to take some take some some pictures. Um, uh, this might be a trip for us, maybe, to go see this with a button shirt and uh, let a couple buttons go. Right. And take it with Abraham Lincoln here. Right, and, and we're going to – this is this is what it's going to sound like. She's a fox. In France, she would be called La Renard. And she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. She's a babe. She's a robo-babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. So, yeah. <laughs> Nicely uh, done. Two weeks in a row here. Yeah, we threw, we brought up a YouTube uh, video. I mean, granted, we, uh, you know, we don't like to judge people just by their looks, but this statue, I think, qualifies. If, if Abraham if that, Lincoln. If that statue... Or president, uh, no shoes. Um, he's got pants uh, and a rolled up sleeves, half button shirt, and f- some flowing locks. And uh, yeah, it's it's sexy Lincoln. It's called the Young Lincoln Statue, Sen Park. If you're in Chicago, it's on Ridge and Ridge Avenue and Clark Street. Um, his hair is just perfect. Yeah, the rumor is that he visited there when he was campaigning for president in 1860. Pants, a little bit looking like the flood, 
you know, waiting for a flood. Maybe he's, a little you know, he is sitting down now, so I'll give him benefit of that. What's he holding? Uh, a book? Uh, he's probably. Reader. Nerd alert. <laughs> Eric, I wonder if he's holding your book. He is, it, it is a book. He is holding a book and sitting on a tree stump. So, he probably, check that you know out. what? You probably cut that tree down. Yeah, he, four, he four may have. Rails. He may have made. He had may have cut that tree down and then split it into some rails. Oh, dude, the Rail Splitter <laughs> Podcast. That's right, Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. So anyway, that's uh, some recent events in Lincoln or Abraham Lincoln. If you're so inclined, check that out. If you're in Chicago, or just give it a Google search for "sexy Lincoln." All the people like we convinced on Twitter to listen to us were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna get a good piece of like this. Is gonna be deep. This is gonna be yeah. some insightful yeah. stuff." And now they're like. Turn it off to one star rating. <laughs> and that's fine because give us a rating. But uh, I would like to also point out there's the famous quote from Lincoln when one of his rivals accused him of being dishonest and two-faced. He had the witty Lincoln-esque retort of, if I were two-faced, would I have chosen this one? Uh, so, and Solid. of course, obviously, I, you know, Abraham Lincoln, man. Vindicated. <laughs> After all these years, vindicated. You are. You are sexy, apparently, Abraham Lincoln. You did choose the right face. Way sexier than Millard Fillmore, that's for sure. We have a th- ongoing theme of calling out Millard Fillmore. So, and we were justified by a Yale professor last week. So, if you weren't listening last week, you can check that out. All right, the topic, the stated topic for this week's episode is going to be the 1860 election. The fatal four-way. The fatal. F- I love that. That's awesome. You know, I, I did research on this. And I have assigned a wrestler to each one of the candidates in this, this fatal awesome. four-way. This is awesome. So we got just the nomination two episodes ago. Nick has dubbed this the fatal four-way, which is kind of true because Douglas died not long after the election. <laughs> I got to hear this. So the fatal four-way is a wrestling term, I'm guessing. Yeah. So Give me the wrestlers. All right. So I, I'm a huge fan of WWE. So, Eric, if you're listening to this episode, you're probably never going to come on, just for the record now. <laughs> I don't know. You never know. There's, the fandom is, is, is wide and all-encompassing, everybody except for me. So, a fatal four-way happens every once in a while. You know, you, you get multiple contenders for the belt. You know, this happens presidential elections. We saw it not too long ago, um, you know, with uh, Ross Perot, Bill Clinton, and uh, gosh, I can't even think of the other person. George uh, Herbert Walker Bush. Thank you. George H. Dubbs. That's three. Um, Who's the fourth? No, but Pat multiple Buchanan? candidates. I I gotcha. what my, that, that would be a Third triple party. threat match. Triple <laughs> threat match. And we'll break that down on our uh, Bill Clinton podcast. Uh, just joking. We don't have one. There's a lot of jokes right there, but yeah. we're going we're gonna to pass that. Um, so sometimes there's multiple contenders, and you have a fatal four-way match. And sometimes in a fatal four-way, you can cheat your way to a win or get a cheapened victory, for example – the finishing move goes on uh, wrestler A, wrestler B made the move, wrestler C comes in, kicks B out, and steals the pin from him. So with a fatal four-way, you don't get enough electoral votes, bam, goes to Congress, you weasel your way to a win perhaps because you're the moderate choice out of the candidates. We've, we've seen a couple times throughout American history. Um, I'm confused by the letters, but keep going. Okay, yeah, that, that probably confuses everybody. So anyways, let's break this down. We got Lincoln, right? Lincoln, the ultimate guy. We feel that, you know, ultimate. I don't um, even know if this works. I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. Jim Ross. All right. Nice. Nicely done. Maybe, maybe, maybe you should have saved that to the end of the episode. But anyway, that was my attempt. Sorry. So I'm looking through these candidates. We got Lincoln, right? We believe Lincoln was the right choice in that election. We believe that he was the one um, who stood the higher moral ground. Sorry, I can't stop. I just can't stop. I don't know. Sorry. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Sorry about that. So we feel Lincoln is the American hero. That's how we see him. And in wrestling, there's no other wrestler. Well, I take that back. You're thinking Hulk Hogan right now, real American, but that's not who I signed to this. John Cena is Lincoln. Here's why. When Hulk Hogan was going, everybody loved the Hulkster. Mm -hmm. John Cena, though, gets a split crowd depending where he's at. He has as many supporters as haters. Lincoln, as we know, a very divided electoral map. Loved in the north, hated in the south. But ultimately the good guy. When looking back on it, everybody's going to go, John Cena, you know what? You're a good guy. 
Yeah. We got you. We got your sure. back. Okay. Okay. So then Douglas. You got Steve. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, go ahead. John Cena, John Cena theme song. I should have been playing this while you were talking about it. Okay, so this is Lincoln walking up at the convention, which he didn't go to. I get that. All right, we're taking this too far. Go ahead. So we got Lincoln and John Cena. I'm I'm going to abandon this. I I got too carried away. All right, so then you got Stephen Douglas, right? Stephen Douglas, he's a little guy, first of all, the little giant, five foot six. So I had to go with an undersized wrestler. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Douglas, Douglas had it. He, he was a good politician, but he could never get to the ultimate high ground of that nomination mm. um, to, you know, especially the, the two prior elections before 1860. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get the nomination. Mm-hmm. So he never achieved the dream. Mm-hmm. From Illinois, great talker. Mm-hmm. All right. Great talker. So I was racking my brain, and I went with another Illinois wrestler, and Chicago native himself, C.M. Punk. Wow. C.M. Punk, okay. undersized, yeah. kind of was an underdog, never got to main event WrestleMania. Never got to main event it, which he probably should have. Douglas sure. probably at some point should have been a Democratic nominee for president. Didn't get it. Great mouthpiece. Could talk to talk. Um, and at the end of the day, could never live up to John Cena. As much as I like CM Punk, he's not going to live up. Just like no. Douglas, could never live up to Lincoln. And, and I do, I, and I don't know as I don't know nearly as much about wrestling as you do. And I'm certainly a novice. But from what I know about CM Punk, is he's smart, right? He's a smart guy, like a very smart guy, yeah. very smart guy. So and Douglas, you know, with all his flaws, and please, like CM Punk fans, we're not saying that CM Punk would be like popular sovereignty, expansion, slavery. Obviously, this is only good fun. However. Stephen A. Douglas is not stupid. Very smart person. CM Punk, we will give him credit for he's smart. I mean, he's, he's done some nice things for education and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So I like that. Go ahead. Sorry. And then you got Breckenridge. Breckenridge. A looker back in the day. Yes. He, he had, his family had some, you know, connections. Mm-hmm. So I believe his, you know, dad was involved in politics. Was, mm-hmm. uh, well, was mm-hmm. he in somebody's cabinet? I don't know. Breckenridge was. Breckenridge was. Yeah, I knew president. that. He was yeah. vice president. Mm-hmm. So, um, a little bit younger guy getting into politics here. One, he was the youngest vice president up to that point. He's so about I'm, as young as you could possibly be. Yeah, like because he was be 35 30, when he yeah, became vice and president. You have to be 35, right? I mean, like you. I mean, now you do, right? Because otherwise, you can't be president. So, so young guy came. You know, he had the path kind of laid before him. Second generation politician, if not a third generation politician. You know, handsome. You know, hell of a Civil War general too. He's got a hell of a Civil War record. So, so he could fight. So I'm racking my brain. He's the Randy Orton. Randy okay. Orton, his dad before him, laid the groundwork. Part of evolution as a young guy. One of the youngest champs ever. So, And ultimately, the heel. Mm-hmm. I mean, Breckenridge is the heel in all of it. Randy Orton has spent the majority of his time as a heel, and that's his best role. So I have to cast Breckenridge as Randy Orton. And then we get to Bell. Bell. Oh, there's, oh, in the Fatal 4-Way, there's always one wrestler who's the weasel. Yeah. Trying, yeah. who doesn't deserve to win. Yes. Who's there, who might steal the victory. Yeah. And Bell, you know, he's the guy coming in. He knows he doesn't have a shot. Mm-hmm. He's hoping for a split mm-hmm. in electoral votes. Yep. And it goes yep. to Congress. And they're like, you know what? He's the moderate. We can all agree on him. He weasels his way in there. Sure. Who's the greatest weasel of all time? The man with one of the longest reigns is entering continental championship from the South himself. The Honky Tonk Man. Wow. Honky wow. Tonk. I, I had that one decided wow. right away. Wow. The Honky Tonk Man. So, like, I like how you're going from different eras because this really helps us kind of get a, get a grasp on what went on. So, the Honky Tonk Man. So, in the – okay, so the Fatal 4 way we got Wait, we Abraham got, Lincoln, John Cena. Yep. The American. Stephen A. Douglas, CM Punk. Yep. John C. Breckenridge, Randy Orton. Yep. And Bell. Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man. Great by the great wrestling name too, man. Like that's just <laughs> Oh geez. We'll get more into Bell too later in this. Yeah. And I like and it's weird. Like I'm this is an Abraham Lincoln podcast, so we're talking about the 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 election as a whole today or tonight or whenever you're listening to this, but yeah, that's it's it's crazy how you know, like and and I like how we're doing this too, just because 
Lincoln was going to win this election. Like, well, th- it's, that's what it's, I'm getting at. No one else is going to win. Like, and, it's, and if you follow wrestling, you know John Cena wins every damn match he's in, especially in a pay-per-view. This is a pay-per-view. I don't know anything about wrestling, but I'm doing the you can't see yeah, me right you now. You can't see me. Um, and you couldn't really see Lincoln because he didn't campaign during that time. Oh, come on. Let's not take it too far. <laughs> back it up. Back it up. Um, so, you know, Fatal 4-Away, this is WrestleMania. Yeah. You know Cena's coming out. But there was always that little seed of doubt. That right. Somebody could maybe weasel their way into this, um, and this gets thrown, you know, to Congress. Right. I um, mean, even after it plays out, there was a little bit of worried about, you know, the electoral college just, you know, putting this into chaos, which it didn't. But there was always that concern there too. And and I do feel, just, I do feel we need to. I'm obliged to say, if there was were actually a wrestling match, it would be the least entertaining of all time because Lincoln would destroy. The real life John Bell, Stephen Douglas, and John Breckenridge, like not even close. Uh, Breckenridge is probably the second best. Oh, he's young. Who gives? Like, come on, dude. He he was. He's got quite a civil dude, war. Record. Young guys that are good looking. I mean, come on. He's from no way. Hey, hey, he's Link, the ultimate Link, heel Lincoln, in this. Yeah, he's born into privilege. Lincoln earned everything he ever got. Trust me. And, then, and know, we're gonna have at least one episode, probably multiple episodes, about how tough Lincoln would be in a fight. Without question. Oh, it, well, Cena's the strongest out of all these wrestlers. That's agreed, no joke. I agree. Okay, okay. As long as we establish that, we're good. Okay, so the <laughs> 1860 election, and we're going to keep this reference going throughout. Um, I think that aside from the election in, in you know, well, there's many elections that kind of show the flaws of the Electoral College, but, you know, from a pure dem- you know, democracy standpoint, you got Lincoln – with 40% of the vote, overwhelmingly wins the Electoral College. It's not even close. I think 180 to 72 yep. to 12 to 39. Now, keep in mind. It goes Lincoln to Breckenridge, 72. Right. Bell, 39. Douglas, 12. And but, then but, I'd like to make a point to popular vote real quick here. Yeah. Is Lincoln, 1.8 mil. Douglas, 1.3 mil. Breckenridge, um, about 850,000. Bell, about 600,000. Right, so, which is crazy that Douglas comes in second by a lot. I mean, he beat he beat Breckenridge and Bell popular vote by wise by a lot. Dead last electoral college carried what one state. Um, so that that is interesting to me. Um, I also think that um, it's. I'm sorry, he did carry two states. Excuse me, two states, Douglas. Um, it's. Keep in mind, though, when you're looking at this, like, oh, man, you know, Lincoln only had 40% of the vote. You need a majority of the Electoral College but per the Constitution. You can't, you know, if you don't have a majority of the Electoral College, it doesn't matter how many popular votes you win. Which was 153 then. Right. So if you add all three of his competitors together, he still crushed them by, by over 30, which is, which is pretty intense. Now, the map, and I think this is interesting, especially when you're going to set up the Civil War, if you win, basically New York, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, it's essentially yours. That's what, like sixty-two, eighty. That's eighty-five in three mm-hmm. states. Eighty-five electoral votes. Um, Texas is four. Florida is three in eighteen sixty. Um, South Carolina is eight. And you know who won South Carolina? No one. They didn't even vote. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like. That's how committed they were to seceding that they didn't even vote, which is just crazy. I think the best chance for this to have gone to Congress was Pennsylvania because the fact that President Buchanan Mm -hmm. was from Pennsylvania, but ultimately the only person who could have won that away from Lincoln was Douglas, Mm -hmm. and Buchanan hated, by this point, Mm -hmm. hated Douglas. Right. And was not going to do anything to help him. Right. I, I think going into that, that was your best chance of a Lincoln not winning the majority electoral. And even if he lost that, he still has it, and you still need another state to go a, a different way. Right. Right. With that. But that was probably the best chance there was. And then it goes to Congress, and then who, who even knows how that all plays out. Right. Um, you know, Bell wins, I guess, right? The heel, right. The, the, the weasel heel sneaks his way in. Pennsylvania, by the way, and I know that the Electoral College did vote for South Carolina, but they 
the state legislature chose those votes. They didn't actually have a popular vote. So I, I understand before you tweet at us, I understand that there was electoral votes from South Carolina. They did not have, they didn't even have a popular vote. Um, Abraham Lincoln in Pennsylvania, uh, 268,000 votes. Breckenridge, 178. Breckenridge came in second. Stephen A. Douglas, 16,000. Man, that's crazy. I wonder how much poll Buchanan had back in that day in Pennsylvania. That'd be kind of interesting. Right. You know, an interesting state in the 1860 election is Illinois, because you have two, rarely, I mean, gosh, I'm kind of a presidential history nerd, and I can't think, when, when else has there been two major candidates from the same home state? I, I mean, I ar- arguably know. 2016, depend, well, depending, Trump, on, yeah. depending on whose home, you know, Clint, what is Clinton's home state? She was born in Illinois. Did most of her work in Arkansas. I think 2016, they're both from New York, arguably. Um, but Illinois, 172,000 172, for Lincoln and 160,000 for Douglas. Wow. And I was looking at a map. There were two counties in Illinois that Lincoln received over 90% of the vote of the, you know, I don't know, probably 150 or so counties in Illinois. Those two counties... Winnebago County and Boone County. We are in Winnebago County. It's in north central Illinois, and our neighbor to the east is Boone County. So we're in Lincoln Country. We are in Lincoln Country. Um, interestingly, if you drew a map of Illinois, I'm sure boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, in, in our class today, the map was red on one on one side, blue on the other, and of course it's divided right in the middle. The <laughs> southern part of Illinois went to Douglas. The northern part of Illinois went to Lincoln. Interestingly enough. Douglas was from the northern part of Illinois, and Lincoln was from the southish part of Illinois. So they kind of won each other's areas of the state, interestingly. Very, very interesting. Maybe so, we should go on a little background on some of the other. I mean, we know Lincoln. We've talked Lincoln. Yes. We've done a good job with Douglas, I feel. Yeah. Over yeah. the episodes, yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Democrat. Mm-hmm. Heck, he was the mouthpiece for the Democrat Party for years. Mm-hmm. Um. Huge supporter of Manifest Destiny. Mm-hmm. He loved to see. He wanted to see the expansion. He was big on getting the railways to go out there. Um, I was reading something that rail that desire to get the Transcontinental Railroad from him might have been one of the reasons why he went with the Kansas-Nebraska Act mm-hmm. to appease some of the Southerners who were hoping that the Transcontinental Railroad would be in the South. Mm-hmm. That kind of where he really kind of sealed his fate as far as from a presidential standpoint. Yeah, he alienated a ton of Democrats. Well, I guess the Kansas-Nebraska Act happens. A lot of Democrats support that. We talked about this last episode. He really alienates himself with, uh, you know, with the, what happens in Kansas, and mm-hmm. he was not supportive of Kansas wanting to become a slave state. Right. He felt some shenanigans went on there. Really is what drew the wedge between him and Buchanan. Buchanan, president, Democrat, the leader of the Democratic Party, um, and that really kind of weakened his faith there. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into that, Breckenridge. Obviously, Kentucky Democrat. Mm-hmm. We talked about this. He was the vice president to Buchanan, mm-hmm. 35 years old, young guy. Huge supporter of Nebraska and what was happening in Kansas. And he was basically the candidate with the slavery credentials, mm-hmm. if you're coming from the South. Mm-hmm. he In our eyes, the ultimate hill. That's why it's Randy Orton. Right. And then, and then we got Bell. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, the flip-flopper. Um, you know, uh, he once was aligned with Jackson mm-hmm. and then completely went against him down the road. He actually wrote the Indian Removal Act, I saw, God, I think. so. bastard. He was against the Mexican-American War mm-hmm. and supporter of Millard Fillmore. Enough said. That is why he's the honky-tonk man. The honky-tonk And that's why man. we have no respect for Bell. Um, to continue the rail splitter feud with the Fillmores. Um, and... Yeah, so that's pretty much how it played out. Um, I, 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 one of the things about Bell, officially running as the dele- or the nominee for the Constitutional Union Party, whose slogan, and I love this, this is like the political genius that came up with this one, the union as it is, the Constitution as it is. So like every politician that we've ever heard of in our lifetimes change progress change change progress progress these guys their campaign manager like hey i got a, here's our slogan it's going to look great on a bumper sticker on our on our wagon 
the union as it is, the constitution as it is. Like, we're, we're, we ain't going to do nothing. Um, I just think that's great. And especially because it does kind of bring up like every, what was on everybody's mind. The union as it is, meaning, you know, disunion is on our minds and on everybody's minds. So they're trying to kind of play this moderate, you know, we're not going to change anything and hopefully everything will stay the same. We'll stay together. But man, what a complacent, like non, non courageous <laughs> type of stance. Like clearly there's like, we're just hoping to skate in here through the back door. Well, then he even angered the, the, the South, too, um, because he opposed a Missouri Compromise Amendment and the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which was basically making that obsolete. So he, he just flip-flops all the way through. Sure. I mean, sure. he just upsets and angers everybody. Yeah. And just, yeah, not, not, not a great, you know, not a great legacy to have <laughs> for John Bell. And then, so the campaign pretty much plays out. It's almost, it's really kind of unique. It's kind of two different elections mm-hmm. in the two different regions in America at that time. I mean, in the North, we're talking Lincoln versus Douglas. In the South, we're talking Breckenridge versus Bell. Obviously, there's a little bit of bleed in there with some of the border states, but that's basically what it comes down to. And is anybody going to pull off the electoral votes needed? Right. And and it's it's and that's what's so fascinating about this election because because it's Lincoln Douglas in the north they need Douglas to win enough states to prevent a Lincoln majority so that it goes to the house however it was fairly tight between the two of them in certain areas and that's when Douglas ends up as you know losing basically 40% to 30% in the popular vote but gets trounced in the electoral college um which is obviously who, who elects the president. So um, Breckenridge and Bell are in a weird situation where they need Douglas to do well in a few of the swing states in the north, and then they just need to not have him win too many of those because they need to win the south. So, I mean, I think really Douglas's ultimate bluff or gamble was that he was trying to appease enough people in the north and the south to win in both areas, and he ultimately ends up winning in neither. And then... Like, people were back in Breckenridge. Do they even want Douglas to do well? I mean, or Breckenridge to do well? I mean, it's part of me thinks there's got to be a collection, a handful of people that want a reason to succeed. Mm-hmm. They almost just want this outcome. Right, like, to succeed. Win. Right, right. You know, I, I you know. Yeah, why why does I, South Carolina not hold a vote? Exactly. You know, like, um, if they were really like, yeah, this is the pro-slavery, poor, pro-South Carolina candidate, they would have held a popular vote and, and they would have given their electoral colleges, college votes, probably. I mean, they, they end up going to Breckenridge on a vote by the state legislator. But um, Something yeah. unique, too, about this is uh, at this time, it was very – the norm was not to campaign for yourself. Mm-hmm. It was a stay-at-home, let your supporters do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Douglas broke with tradition, mm-hmm. and he actually was active on the campaign trail out there giving speeches, like you know what we call modern day rallies and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, it's just kind of an interesting side note to everything, right? And and I think that was more of, a, I mean, he's he's not not a humble man, you know. I think he kind of realized his legacy was on the line. Uh, I also feel it was it was Lincoln's to lose. You know, I think once, once Lincoln, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, once Lincoln had that nomination, you know, he's, I mean, Illinois was close, but, um, Illinois was close, but he was going to, you know, Lincoln won it fairly. I mean, he won it by three points. I guess it wasn't that close, but you know, won Indiana fairly handily. Um, it, it was Lincoln's to lose, and you know what are you going to do? You got to do something. And he so he went down swinging, and he went down. And another interesting side note, because I believe in October the state legislators were chosen back then. Uh-huh. After that vote takes place, everybody knows the outcome. And Douglas, to his credit, went down south, and his speeches were to keep the union together. Um, kind of, I don't know if it was necessarily a support to Lincoln, but you know. He's down there arguing, hey, we need to keep the union together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- that's something to be said when you're in the middle of a campaign, that the vote hasn't happened, but yet you're arguing for a cause that you believe more than your own personal outcome in the election. Right. And that that's 
always one of those really intriguing what ifs. Like, what if Douglas didn't die shortly after the inauguration? Like, what if if Douglas survived the war? Would he have tried to run in 1864? Would he have advocated for, you know, different different generals, different political appointments? Would you know, or his role in Reconstruction? Right, or or, a, or the Thirteenth Amendment, like yeah. where, yeah, like where does it would have been interesting to see what path his career took, um, because it's you know it's an interesting kind of idea because once he secured, in a way, I mean he didn't completely secure because the party fractured, but you know he basically came in second in the popular vote. Um, where do you go from there? And that's always kind of interesting to see where politicians go when they lose presidential elections. Um, do they focus on the next go around? Do they, you know, like John Kerry becomes Secretary of State? Um, you know, some some of them, John McCain has kind of tried to become a moderate voice in the Senate. You know, what, what would have Stephen Douglas done? It is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Well, especially being he's one of the more popular politicians of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, Granted, he had a falling out with the Democrats, but you know, Civil War that shakes up the whole Democratic Party right there. Right. So, too, uh, so you know, it's interesting. He may have retired into kind of legacy protection. You know, who is he going to be known as? Because you know, in history, I believe history's been fairly kind to him. You know, the Lincoln Douglas debates, you know, are famous. Like he's he's a, at least in Illinois, he's kind of people know who he is. He's got, and I'm. I, I hate this with a passion, but there are two giant statues. There's more than two, but there's two main statues outside the Capitol in Springfield. One of them is Abraham Lincoln, the other one is Stephen A. Douglas. Well, first of all, it's a little giant it statue. It is a little giant statue. Well done. Well said. Uh, but when you go into the chamber um, in the State House in Springfield, the, you know there's two sides of the aisle. The, link, the Republican side has a giant portrait of Abraham Lincoln, and the Democrat side has a little giant portrait of Stephen A. Douglas, so that kind of like lets people know which side of the aisle each politician is on. So, one note here, uh, real well, quick, real quick, I'm going to come Go out ahead. with one of my own personal causes. Take that down and make Barack Obama the portrait on that side. That's my cause. I will mention it many times. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, uh, Douglas does pass away in 1861. So, mm-hmm. um, right there, it's very beginning. And Lincoln, by the way, did visit him. What you know, he was dying essentially. Uh, when Lincoln got to Washington, one of the first things he did was visit Douglas. And um, you know, obviously, they knew each other well, and um, they kind of had a had a little a little moment there before he passed. And I, I think that you make a good point about Douglas trying to still keep the union together. And there are people that think that losing the election kind of killed him in a way. Who knows what actually killed him because the medicine was so um, not very that, not very advanced at the time. But um, yeah, that is a that is a fun what if to think about. Um, you know, thing I always find fascinating. We talked about this. You mentioned this. You know, what happens to these candidates afterwards? Mm-hmm. Um, just a little bit about uh, Breckinridge. Um, he ends up actually uh, becoming a Civil War general from the South and fought in many of the well-known battles from Shiloh to Chattanooga, New Market. Um, he was part of the raid on Washington towards then, Kernstown. And he actually had quite the Civil War record um, when everything's said and done. After the war is over, he actually flees to Cuba, eventually ends up in Canada, reunites with the family, and travels Europe till he is pardoned. Um, in 1869, so he's living in exile, and then he ends up becoming a businessman. Uh, Bell, another fascinating story. He starts, meets with Lincoln, supports the North, and then Fort Sumner happens and flip-flops yet again, and then supports the South. After that, basically gives this argument, because he's from Tennessee, you know, one of these border states, gives this argument, and then I was reading an account basically um, his friends didn't even listen to him speak because he flip-flopped yet again and then it pretty much ruins his political career, ends up working for his family ironworks company and dies in 1869. So, uh, you know, Bell just having a hard time, probably like a lot of Americans, to be honest, trying to decide where they stand on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day, he had a, uh, a son or maybe another or two sons who ended up fighting for the South. Um, 
You know, those border states, you know, I, I think there's a lot of conflict of who decided with who to go with. Um, where does your allegiance lie? And, and, you know, and I think that's one of the things that comes out of the Civil War, too. I think before Civil War, the loyalty was with your state. Mm-hmm. If you're from Illinois, you're an Illinoisan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now we don't have that at all, really. We have some regional loyalty, city mm-hmm. loyalty, but we consider ourselves Americans before we think of our state for the most part. Right. And I think that's one of the legacies of the Civil War that kind of comes out right. of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked a little about Shelby Foote. You know, he, he makes a point in Ken Burns' documentary that before he says the Civil War made us an is, because he would say, you know, before the Civil War, the pr- proper uh, grammar would be the United States are, and now we say the United States is. Um, and another, it's funny, when I used to teach, when I first started teaching, um, I would talk about... Um, you taught? I did. I was a, I was a U.S. <laughs> history teacher. Um, I was trying to talk about people's allegiance to their state. You know, Robert E. Lee would, couldn't fight against Virginia, which I think that story gets a little bit blown out of proportion. But anyway, um, like the, the allegiance to a state being more significant than allegiance to a country. I would always talk about my cousin who was from Texas and had a tattoo of the state of Texas. I'm like, could you imagine anybody ever getting the state of Illinois? And of course, all the kids are like, no, that's stupid. I currently have the state of Illinois. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. I am looking at it right yeah. now it's, on your it has the old state capital. muscular yeah. bicep there. It's not muscular at all, but um, I'm a proud Illinoisan. But anyway, so I now I, I used to say that like, oh, God, no, yeah, nobody cares about Illinois. Uh, but in the South, people still kind of have an allegiance. And I don't want to generalize the South. If you're listening from the South, I'm not trying to generalize that you guys all care about your states more than the United States. I know that's not true. However, there still is a little bit of civic pride and allegiance to states Still, and I actually have grown in allegiance to the land of Lincoln. Another thing I I found fascinating, just kind of breaking it down, Breckenridge is your only candidate out of the four that was pretty much hardcore pro-slavery, willing to go to secession for it. Um, And he only received the majority of vote in five states. Keep in mind, this is a sitting vice president. Like yes. he, like the vice president of the United States. It, I mean, that's the state of affairs. Like, yep, we will secede. Like this, it is important to us. And not to mention, I don't think it's a small issue that he's from Kentucky. Like he's a border state mm-hmm. person too. Um, and it could have been politically expedient for him not to take that track. Um, he, you know, he wouldn't have ended up. This is all because this, the party fractured. But what if he was really? try to take a more centrist approach and try to really fight Douglas for the central piece. And I do want to spend one, one quick second. That Democratic convention <laughs> that broke up without a nominee, 57 ballots, and they couldn't get a nominee. Yeah, well, that I find that convention very fascinating, too, and just how the platform decisions have split them. And then, I mean, what? They went to South Carolina, Charleston. They had to reconvene in Baltimore. And then they ended up with two nominees out of it, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then um, going back to that Breckenridge issue, so basically you had a large number of Southerners who cast their vote with Bell or Douglas who were not at all, who were pro- who wanted to see the Union stay together, at least mm-hmm. when they're running there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting note, I, I think. So, you know, how many people are really leading this secession charge that eventually happened? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great question. I, yeah, that's – and I think – Really, what this election, part of what this election really highlights is, like, there weren't that many people in the South. Like, you you know, you're looking at, you know, we look at it now, and it's hard to kind of envision it, else, you know, in a different way. But looking at that Electoral College map, you're like, Breckenridge, like, extremely popular in the South, like, basically swept most of those states and, like, the border states. What if they went his way? Like, there were not many electoral votes in the South. They, the fact that he swept the South even if you added in the border states, wouldn't even have come close. And, and I think that's part of the issue. You know, they felt threatened. They right. knew that that was going that way. The North was growing in numbers. And, and they knew that, you know, their system was on the verge of changing. Right, right. I mean, you add up Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida, and you got New York plus two electoral votes. Like, it's, New York, the largest at that time. No, I'm not. No, sorry, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania plus was, Pennsylvania yeah. plus two. New York has 35 votes, which means you got to take, you know, Texas, 
Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Florida, so and, New York Ge- was- and Georgia, just just to get close. So we got New York at 35, electoral. Yes. Pennsylvania, 27. Yes. And then Ohio, 23? Yep. That's the top three? Yeah. Yeah. All northern states. But that's that's 85 votes right there, and you only need 152 yeah. to win. Well, and then think about Lincoln's cabinet. Mm-hmm. Where did three of those guys come from? You got Seward, Chase, Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Seward from New York, Chase from Ohio, Cameron from Pennsylvania. Yeah. And obviously that I mean that probably had more to do with the nomination than the the actual general, but um yeah, it's yeah, I like the Fatal Four Way. I think it's a good example. Um, you know, obviously our hero John Cena wins. Uh, uh, of course, you know there's a couple close steals. You know, you know the Honky Tonk Man got at least a a cover in there. Yeah, a yeah. kick out. You know. Yeah, um, a cover. I got it. Sorry, I wasn't familiar with the wrestling term, but I got who it. Do, who does Lincoln pin here? Breckenridge, probably Breckenridge. <laughs> no, right? I mean like, I think it's like an eye roll. Like, oh, of course he wins because like. Oh yeah, that's how it always you is know, when Cena wins. This for the record. Yeah, I mean. It, one basically 1.8 million to 1.3 million. Okay, those are the top two vote getters. Electoral college between those two, 180 to 12. It's you know, like it's it's the weirdest election because the popular vote, you know, is not close, it's really not even that close. Like, so what this says to me is that you know, Douglas and Lincoln went at it for the majority of the match, the other two laid out on the ring. Eventually, Douglas got canceled out. Breckenridge almost stole, you know, he had a cover that went to two, and then Cena, you just, you know, um, put him in the, the attitude adjustment. Yeah. And then pinned him. That's yeah. what happened. The attitude, is that a signature move? The AA, yes. <laughs> the AA, that's brilliant. It, it used to be called something else. It was like, I think it was the FU, but they've gone PG now. Oh, so. that's right. Okay. So they had to change the AA. So when, when your son's a- old enough to watch. The attitude adjustment. He's yes. old enough now. We're, yeah, we're very irresponsible. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we're very happy that the 1860 election went down the way it did. We uh, probably wouldn't have a podcast otherwise. No, because like I said, the little giant podcast that doesn't exist is our nemesis, and we always talk trash about it, even though it's not real. Um, but yeah, if this were the little giant podcast, it'd be totally different. Um, but anyway, um, you know, we'll probably revisit the election. I think there's a lot there's a lot of other layers to it and kind of how the campaign went and how that all went down, but um, I think that was kind of a nice, nice, fun way to look at it. Um, and, and I'm glad that uh, Lincoln, a.k.a. John Cena, ended up taking it down. Um, it was, you know, I, I think the nomination, and that's part of the reason why we why we went to the nomination a couple episodes ago, because that kind of has a little bit more nuances, um, and it exposes Lincoln's political genius a little more. This is kind of more just interesting from a constitutional standpoint with the Electoral College and the popular vote, and then really the state of affairs in the South, but... Ultimately, we got Abraham Lincoln comes in and then, you know, wins the election, which gives us a situation just just like this. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. God, brilliant. JR, dude, Jim Ross can announce anything. I agree. He's a great announcer. Jim Ross, if you're listening, you're welcome to come on the Real Splitter podcast at any time. Oh, totally. We'll break down Oklahoma politics with you if we got you it. You know, actually, I heard him on NPR. That's, I hate it when people say that, but I did literally hear him <laughs> on NPR. Um, he's a smart guy. Like he was. He oh, talked, he's real he was, smart. Uh, you know, was it, it was on it was it on NPR? Or, it might have been on the Score. Actually, I think it was on sports radio. But he was talking about um, a lot of different things and a lot of stuff about southern culture and stuff like that it was really interesting and just for the record we know wrestling is fake wwe however mid-19th century politics so real but here's something that is might not be fake time lincoln time lincoln it is time ladies and gentlemen it is time for our weekly installment of this week in lincoln this week in lincoln we do every week and we try to bring in something where lincoln intersects with life with popular culture with kind of what's going on and we try to find stuff that's fun and light and interesting and i think part of the legacy of lincoln is that he just kind of shows up in weird spots um and a lot of it is completely disconnected to the amazing historic figure that he is this week in lincoln we're going to talk about a comic book oh this this is he just he just shared this with me um before we started this and this is truly 
the greatest comic book ever. Not really, but yeah. it is interesting. It's among the greatest comic book ever. Okay, this link, this comic book is called Time Lincoln, and I spent a short amount of time in my life collecting comic books, and I specifically collected comic books that had presidents pop up in them, and that's how I found Time Lincoln. Uh, there's only like four or five issues. I have three of them right here in front of me. Uh, the first one was published in February of 2010 by Fred Perry. Uh, so we might reach out to Fred on Twitter. But Fred oh, Perry yeah. uh, wrote, and I believe must have done the artwork for Time Lincoln. Time Lincoln is a limited series comic book. Good artwork. It oh, really is good artwork. On the, on the cover we've got, and I'll, I'm gonna, I'll definitely Instagram and tweet a picture of the cover art. But on the cover art we've got um, kind of the standard $5 billish um, portrait of Lincoln, but he's got these awesome steampunk goggles on his forehead. You know, when you time travel, you need goggles. You do. You do. So the first three frames of the comic series is our hero sitting in Ford's theater, and someone comes up behind him with this amazing steampunk kind of pistol-looking thing and says something in Russian before he aims this gun at the back of Lincoln's head. And that person is none other than Joseph Stalin. So so let me ask you this. Have you read this? All oh, yeah, of through? course. Yeah, yeah. Is, is Stalin like a... Does he, what's his motive? Is it evil? Is it good? It is. He, uh, he talks about like the secrets of the universe, and he calls himself Void Stalin because he exists in the void between like time travel and reality. So he's kind of like the leader of this team. So they're trying to do good? Yeah, they're trying to do good. So I, I think of Stalin, I, I usually think, you know, bad. Yeah. Um, Stalin says, What you perceive, comrade Lincoln, are the seeds of my dominion planted through the history of mankind, and yet final victory is denied to me. Four minds, besides your own, though scattered across the millennium, directed my influence. Somehow you are all able to collaborate. So there's four others. There's four others. Please tell me what these four others are. So the four others, you have Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington Carver, and Sir Isaac Newton. And now it says, somehow you are all able to collaborate, collaborate on creating various means to oppose my will. Einstein, Franklin, Carver, Newton, and you, dot, 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 Time Lincoln. <laughs> and it's got this like super superhero Lincoln artwork with him with a steampunk belt and goggles. And uh, it says like he's going to set forth obstacles and see if Lincoln can prevail. So basically, the, the idea is that. Uh, so, what kind of missions did these guys go on, this crew? Uh, well, I have a couple other. Um, a couple other issues um of the comic one of them the next one that came out was called time lincoln jack to the future jack in this case is john kennedy so um it's kind of a back to the future play and kennedy and lincoln has teamed up with john kennedy so does he go with the crew or like do they each do their own separate missions they're each on their own separate mission okay so um Probably because they were going for spin-offs, you could get the Albert Einstein. I guess. I mean, they like show up in the in the issue, but like they're not really fighting together. If I'm looking at this correctly, it's been a while since I've read these, uh, but I believe in Jack to the Future. I believe they come across Castro, and they kind of he's kind of the villain in this one. I think. So the cover makes it look like are they in a DeLorean or no? It looks like a DeLorean, but I think it's a train. Oh, so you're more, right. more of a part three than a part uh, one or two. The third one's the worst, just for the record. Yeah, it, it tends to be. Um, and then the other issue I have, and by the way, the tagline for this uh, comic is, in his final hour, he lived a lifetime. <laughs> so Fred Perry, you're a comic genius, and I don't mean funny. Uh, what's the third title? I enjoy the, the third the one. The third title, <laughs> Apocalypse Mao. As in Mao Zedong? As in Mao Zedong. Lincoln goes to fight Mao Zedong. So, <laughs> With the tanks that have the spikes yeah. on the front? Yeah. I've, like, I've never seen that. Like there is a the, the cover art on this, and I'll try to Instagram a picture of this as well. It's like a play on the actual real-life hero of the man from Tiananmen Square. 
except it's steampunk Lincoln <laughs> facing down like this spiky future tank of some kind. So it has spikes in the front because, yeah. of course, that seems like it wouldn't be that functional in in war, but yeah. So Fred Perry, this is an alternate universe, so it might be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the idea is that right before John Wilkes Booth came into the to the the box at Ford's Theater, Joseph Stalin did, and froze time. So if you get a chance, I don't even know if it's available on digital comic apps. Um, but check it out and try to try to get a couple issues. I'll, I'll try to, to Instagram and tweet out a couple photos of the artwork. But Dude, we need to get Fred Perry on. We need to talk to him. I think so. I want to get in his, his head. I wonder, about does this. he have a Twitter? Like Fred Perry, if you happen to come across this or somebody who knows Fred Perry, listen to this. There, Please, there we, is we, a there is a Twitter approved or Twitter verified account, but it's probably not the same Fred Perry. Oh, I don't know. We need to reach out to this guy. Yeah, this is fascinating. Oh, Time Lincoln, like he probably hasn't. I mean, the last issue was published like five years, six years ago, so you know he probably. Um, Maybe they reissue it after this episode. I don't airs. know. I don't know. Does any like tweet at us if you've heard of of Time Lincoln? Because you know it'd be pretty cool if. Um, if you have, uh, yeah, Fred Perry Comics. Uh, we'll check it out and see if we can reach out to him and get his take on where Time Lincoln is going to go from here. Agreed. It's, it's, it, 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 actually, it's, I have not read it, but the artwork is beautiful, actually. Very yeah. great artwork. It, it's, 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 it's a great comic book. So anyway, uh, anything else on the 1860 election? I, th- I think we're good. I, I think we... we uh, sorry, I, I, I got to apologize. Anything else on the fatal four-way? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think we covered it all. I mean, you know, I was a little worried about how long we'd be able to go with the 1860 election here, being that was kind of a, a foregone conclusion before Election Day. But I, I think we did a nice job covering it. Let us you know, know what you think for sure out there and tweet at us uh, and send us an email. That we're at Rail Splitter Pod on Twitter and Instagram, the Rail Splitter Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, I'll beg you for the ratings and reviews. Nick, um, Nick will beg for ratings and reviews. Um, no, that just helps us when we reach out to Fred Perry. Hey, we've got this many ratings, this many reviews, and then he sees it. He feels good. He wants to come on and share his story about how he started Time Lincoln. There you go. There you go. So uh, once again, please reach out to us. We'd love to chat about Lincoln and tell your friends who are also Lincoln enthusiasts or history buffs, and we'd love to reach out to them and let them listen to the show and have them as uh, part of our listening crew. So. We will see you again next week with another edition of the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast. So keep treating each other with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next week.